Turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 1. And we will start with the 14th verse and work our way to the 20th. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came unto Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And that is the word of God. Back in 2018, the Wall Street Journal published an article entitled, Why So Many Men Die at 62. Researchers think the reason is linked to Social Security and retirement. The article went on to reveal that about one-third of Americans immediately claim Social Security at 62, and that 10% of men retire in the month they turn 62. Uh, Unfortunately, what research discovered was that there was a significant increase in mortality beginning at age 62, and the escalation is much more dramatic for men than for women. The study's authors believe that the availability of Social Security enables these men to stop working, and as a result, they tend to die early due to a lack of vocation. Dr. Maria Fitzpatrick, an associate professor of economics at Cornell University, co-authored the study, and she makes the following points about its results. And I quote, Retirement could have positive long-term benefits for your health because you're taking better care of yourself. Or it could be that in the long run, retirement has a negative effect. You can think of how a retiree slowly withdraws from the world because he no longer has any reason to engage. What we find in the short run are negative consequences. For example, many deaths come from traffic accidents. You don't go to work, you have more hours of the day to be driving around. Medical literature suggests when older men are more sedentary, they're more likely to be at risk for infection. When they lose their jobs, they increase their smoking rate linked to the types of deaths we see such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or respiratory illness. More broadly, there could be negative consequences because this is a difficult time for people. There's a lot of uncertainty. We know people get sick during periods of stress, end quote. And then she goes on to conclude, the takeaway is retirement may be bad for the health of men, particularly men who retire 
at the relatively early age of 62. This is the leading explanation. Now, whether you agree with Dr. Fitzpatrick or not, one thing is certain. Vocations are used by God to keep us alive. We may not like waking up and going to work, but it keeps us alive. Work, you see, gives men a sense of identity, a wage, a sense of worth, structure. Work is where most people live out the quote that was supposedly said by Aristotle. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. The daily rinse and repeat routine of employment allows men to achieve excellence in this somewhat chaotic world. Now, scripture this morning is all about full-time vocational employment. In today's passage, the gospel writer probes into the full-time employments of five different individuals. In verse 14, Jesus starts a brand new career. He has left the carpentry business and has spent 40 intense days in the spiritual boot camp of the wilderness. And then in verse 14, Jesus will start his new work as a preacher and teacher of the gospel. Let's read verse 14 and then also make our way into verse 15. Now after that, John was put into prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. It's an incredibly important word, that word repent in verse 15. Some Christian pastors today downplay or intentionally omit the word. They omit any call for sinners to repent of their sins. However, as Jesus shows us in verse 15, evangelism in the New Testament clearly includes a call to repentance. Jesus bookended his ministry by starting and ending his earthly ministry with calls for repentance. Right before his ascension into heaven, the Great Commission has Jesus telling his disciples in Luke 24, 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. I want you to listen to me carefully here. Repentance is not a work. Rather, repentance, like faith, both are gifts from God. And as you know, we are saved by grace alone in Christ alone. And the medium that Christ uses to save us is faith. Faith is not a work. It is a gift from God, and it is the means by which, through His grace, God saves us. The great gift of repentance is the critical difference between the Apostle Peter and the betrayer Judas. One refused repentance and chose suicide. The other graciously was restored by Christ. How? 
through repentance. In fact, when we speak about the gospel, and we will in a moment, you will see that it is impossible to have faith in Christ without repentance from sin. One needs to turn from sin in order to put faith in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior. Similarly, when the Apostle Paul proclaimed the need for repentance to the idolatrous Greeks in Athens, warning them about God's judgment that was coming, he was evangelizing in doing so. Listen to Acts 17.30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. In addition, when addressing the Thessalonian church, Paul says in Thessalonians 1.9, they tell you, you've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Did you catch that? It's two sides of the same coin. One full motion. You turn from idols in order to believe and serve the living and true God. Repentance and faith work in tandem. Now, in order to repent, we must know what the word righteousness means. Repentance in the New Testament is not merely a change of mind, but includes both sorrow for one's sins and a sincere inward resolve to turn away from sin and turn to Christ in faith. It is also a turn to righteousness, and to a right way of living. And this is precisely why Bible study and listening to doctrinally sound sermons are so critical to the Christian life. Through Scripture, we learn the commands of Christ and thereby gain a definitive knowledge of right versus wrong. In fact, one could say that the Bible is our preeminent ethics book. We learn Christian ethics. And I do not believe that widespread revival will ever come to this nation apart from widespread, heartfelt repentance from sin. Gospel proclamation must include a clear call to repentance, just like how Jesus did it right here in verse 15. Now, as we read verses 14 and 15, what is this gospel? In one sense, we are all called to preach this gospel and be fishers of men in our respective career fields. Now, the word gospel simply means good news or good message. What was this particular message that Jesus would leave carpentry for and now centralize his entire life around? What was this gospel that he was going to make his new vocation? You can make it into longer than four points, but I often make it as simple as these four points. Number one, there is a holy, righteous God who eternally exists in three persons. Not three gods. One God, three persons. This is very important. I was listening to one of the presidential candidates, Vivek Raswami, who's a Hindu, and he tried to pass off that Hindus and Christians are very similar, not only in their values, in terms of moral values, but in the God that they worship. 
He tried to pass on that uh, Hindus are monotheists who worship this God known as Brahman who manifests himself in many different gods, Vishnu and Shiva, which, by the way, most Hindus would disagree. Hinduism, at its core, is polytheistic. But even if that point were, was to be agreed with, even if that point was valid, it is incorrect in the sense that Christianity is just like that. We don't serve God who manifests himself as the Holy Spirit and as Jesus. That's incorrect. That would be the heresy of modalism, that God the Father exists and then he exposes or manifests himself in three different modes. That's wrong. The Bible, Christian theology, teaches that we serve three distinct persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Three different roles, one essence. So we worship one God. And this God spoke and he created the universe from nothing. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Point number two, God also made humans, Adam and Eve. And this is why when we study, for example, the army ethic, we teach soldiers that we are to teach, we are to treat all humans with dignity and respect. Why? Because it is intrinsic. Why do humans have intrinsic value? And the reason for that is because we are all made in the image of God. God made Adam and Eve in his own image, just as my son is in my image, but more than that, the image of God, the imago dei, as theologians will call it, means that we are, as Luke would say, Adam is the son of God. We are not God, we are created beings, however God made us good in his image, and that is why humans have intrinsic value. We are not animals. The atheists would not be able to explain that. For them, we are just another type of animal, primate. But scripture teaches we are not animals. We have intrinsic value because we are made in the image of God. And God made Adam and Eve good. The problem is Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result of that sin, we all now have a sinful nature. We call this original sin. We're all born with it. We don't simply need doors. We need locks. We don't simply need laws. We need law enforcement. It is socially observable that all men are sinners. And theologians often put it this way. We are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. By nature, that's who we are. We're sinners. And that's bad news. Because scripture says it is appointed man once to die and then the judgment. There's only heaven and hell. There's no purgatory, no limbo, only heaven or hell when we die. And because we're sinners, we deserve hell. You won't hear this from a lot of preachers, but Jesus taught it. Jesus said that when we die for our sins, all of us as sinners deserve eternal hell and punishment from Almighty God. Why? Because sins against an infinitely holy God deserve infinite punishment in hell. But point number three, here's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his son Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross and paid for the sins of anyone who would put their faith in him as Lord, as God, and as Savior. Resurrecting on the third day, proving that he is indeed God. But point number four, you have to personally repent, meaning turn from your life of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior in order to be saved, in order to have eternal life. It's one full motion, you see. I cannot believe in Jesus unless I've turned from my sin. That's what repentance is. We repent in order to believe in Jesus as our Lord, God, and Savior. That's the Christian gospel. And the, the moment you believe in those four points, right? I'll put it even more simply. God good, man bad, Jesus saves, you believe. God is holy, humans are sinners, deserving of hell. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And we must personally repent and believe in Jesus to have eternal life. The moment you share that, you're evangelizing. You're doing what Jesus and his disciples did here. I urge you as Christians to go and share this message. Won't it be a shame that you spend your entire life and you never led one person to Christ? Make that your New Year's resolution. Cry out to God, God, give me a soul that I could win for you. Because the moment a person hears, understands, and then believes in that gospel, he or she is born again. That's a biblical term. And the moment that he or she is born again, he has eternal life. At that moment, he becomes a Christian. And that's the greatest gift in the world. You're heaven-bound. You're not saved by your works or anything else you've done. Instead, you're simply saved by faith in the gospel alone. So powerful and so important is the gospel that in today's message, immediately Jesus recruits four others, Peter, Andrew, James, John, to leave their jobs in order to take on a very important new job of gospel preaching. Now, this raises another question. Are we all called to forsake our nets? And the answer is no. Paul is very clear. All of us do not have this call. All of us are called to be fishers of men. In other words, we are all called to evangelize. But we are not all called to be professional clergymen or apostles. As an ordained minister, today's assigned passage strikes very close to home. It's an issue I had to wrestle with personally. Was this call for me? Because you see, like the apostles, clergy members are also called to make the gospel their full-time vocation. This is all I do. So years ago, I'll share this with you, years ago, I had paid for and registered to take the New York City Sheriff's exam. This is an exam that comes around every four years. Law enforcement had always fascinated me. It was something that interested me. And uh, 
I was actually excited about the prospect of entering law enforcement when one day I meditated on 1 Corinthians 9.14. And here's what 1 Corinthians 9.14 says. Even so has the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So this is a very small sect of people. In other words, these are called to preach the gospel as their full-time vocation. And at the time I read the verse, I had multiple occupational aspirations. However, upon reading the verse, I immediately knew that my life would change. You see, years prior, I had received a strong internal call that God had called me to be a minister. And so as a result, I thought about being a New York City sheriff and a pastor simultaneously. I thought that would be kind of cool. My goal was to what they now call be a bivocational pastor. But what 1 Corinthians 9.14 and today's scripture passage did was it changed my mind. I became thoroughly convinced that if God calls a man to be a minister, then he calls that man to be a minister as his full-time employment. And there's reasons for that. So in faith, I thought to myself, well, if that's what God has commanded, and I know that God has called me, then he will provide me with the means to do so. So in faith, I let go of the sheriff's exam and forfeited my testing fee, and I didn't go. And I narrowed my options down to two choices. God would either have me as a pastor in the military or serve me as a pastor in a civilian congregation very large church in San Francisco at the time. I was candidating there as well. And I was about halfway through. They had gone through several rounds of interviews and it was between that and the military. And within that same year, God selected me to the former. And that is why I'm preaching here in this pulpit today. For me, it serves as an incredible firm confirmation that God has indeed called me to be one of his pastors, and I'm grateful and I'm humbled by that. But I believe that he will do that to all who he calls specifically to this as a vocation. And that's what you see here with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These will go on to be the first pastors of the Christian church. The vast majority of Christians, however, will not receive a call to do verse 18. The vast majority of you will not be called to be full-time clergymen. You will not be required to leave your entire nets, symbolizing your vocation, your secular vocation behind. Instead, most Christians, Paul says so himself, will be expected to remain in their current vocations and serve Christ right where they are. And Paul knew this very well. From time to time, he would work as a tent maker, but the vast majority of the time, he did apostleship full-time on the funds supported by many different churches, including, as we well know, the church in Philippi. God provides. The vast majority of Christians are to, however, bloom and be fishers of men in their secular vocations, whether it's nursing, law, 
medicine, law enforcement, whatever it is, you are to bloom where you're rooted. Colossians 3.23 contains the following instructions. Listen to this. And whatsoever you do, okay, whether you're a nurse or a butcher, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever vocation you, you're, you're in, don't simply do it for a paycheck. Instead, do it for the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ will reward you for all of eternity for your labors on earth. This is a fundamental core principle of the Protestant Reformation. Because prior to it, work was sort of something as a thorn. And all of a sudden, the Reformation came and made work a vocation. Something that God would reward you for, as it says in Colossians. Something that was honorable and God-glorifying. And so when you read all of these new research studies, studies after studies which have gone and done some work on GDP of nations, uh, I was reading this past week a, a work, um, uh, I think the title of the book is Hidden Potential, and there's a study in it, a fascinating study over the course of time. It's a meta-study, in fact, a study of studies, that showed the trajectory of GDPs of Protestant versus Catholic nations. And what happens when all of a sudden work becomes a vocation, GDP rising. Even nations that aren't as strong of a Christian nation as they once were, but still Christian roots. You think about all the Swedish flags, Norwegian flags, they all have the cross as their national flag. How all of these Western nations, their GDPs rose because work became a sacred vocation. Not simply a means to earn a paycheck, but a means by which you glorify God, particularly in the United States through a number of re revivals in this nation. And I want you to listen to me very carefully on this. Work was created by God for the glory of God and for the benefit of mankind. Before the fall of Adam and Eve, God created man to work in the Garden of Eden. Therefore, till this very day, work is perceived not only as an income source, but also as providing both mental and spiritual health. New studies among unbelievers are now discovering that employment has helped individuals diagnosed with what has been labeled by some medical professionals as, listen to this, borderline personality disorder. They call this BPD. People psychologically diagnosed with BPD are often on edge, have high anxiety, high, high anger levels. They struggle with, with self-doubt. They turn um, with that doubt and cause distress in many other areas in their lives. They also have an intense fear of instability and abandonment. And as a result, they are very anxious when they're alone. But instead of medicating these folks, some medical doctors have seen their patients heal and flourish once they are engaged in the workforce. According to medical doctors, and I quote here, 
Working not only promotes growth and stability in those with BPD, but also across mental health conditions. The Veterans Affairs Administration offers a compensated work therapy program for veterans experience a range of mental health conditions. The program connects veterans to workplaces that match their strengths, skills, and needs as a way to build resilience and bring experienced employees to workplaces, end quote. So for example, one individual who struggled with BPD, PTSD, and drug use encountered many obstacles during her treatment in a residential program. Once she completed her program, however, she found employment, and while the job is not quite the right fit, it provided her with structure and stability. According to one professional, not only was she able to develop significant connections with her colleagues while at work, but she learned to regulate her emotions in the context of inevitable obstacles in the workplace. It led her to feel more competent. Eventually, it led her to seek out a job in line with her long-term career goals. This was her stepping stone to stability. Such is the God-given power of work, whether you believe or not. It's how God made the world. And the medical field is just now beginning to discover its powerful effects. So I close this morning with verse 16. Let's take a look at the verse together. Verse 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. At the time, their job was to fish. And by verse 18, however, God would give them a higher calling and with it a new identity. And here's the big question. Do you believe that verse 16 was accidental? Take a look at the verse. Do you feel that was accidental? I don't. I believe Jesus intentionally walked by the Sea of Galilee in order to find these four men and call them into full-time ministry. In fact, the New Testament will go on to teach us that these men were predestined by God for their new vocations. And here we learn an important closing lesson. You see, last time I preached, I incorporated a line from Napoleon. You guys remember that? Both kings and peasants are pieces in God's hands. As he himself writes history. When and if God graciously permits you to retire one day from a career, don't ever look back with regret. And some of you need to hear that. Sure, there are things that were within our control and we could have done things better. There always will be such things. But overall, know this, your career went exactly as God predestined it to go. You will only advance as far as God predestines you to advance. You will only fulfill what God fulfills in predestination. Yes, God predestined you to be a baker, a lawyer, a doctor, a military officer, a dental hygienist, or any other job, you see, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. God had already written out every chapter of your life. You see, this is very different thinking 
than unbelievers. Unbelievers think that there's no God, and we're here by evolutionary chance, and you are what you make yourself to be. That's not true. Every chapter of your life was already written before you were conceived in your mother's womb by God. That's a mind-blowing truth. And as we now speak, God already knows the exact time and date of your last breath. He knows it already. It's already been written. Both human responsibility and predestination are taught by the Bible. And although it is a mystery as to how both are true, it nevertheless does not diminish the fact that both are indeed true. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then thank God. Because the reason you're sitting here as a believer in worship rather than an unbeliever at home watching NFL football or something is because God elected you and predestined you to believe in the gospel. The only reason you believe in the gospel is because God predestined you to do so. And in like manner, get this, he also predestined your vocation. We see this explicitly taught in the New Testament, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Did you catch that? That is an amazing truth. And as a child of God, this truth brings us humility, praise, and comfort. Humility, because if we do anything praiseworthy in life, then it was because of God. The potter made us to be honorable vessels. The potter, the potter could have easily made you to be a different type of clay vessel, born in a different country, to a different set of circumstances, to different opportunities and abilities, and perhaps to never ever hearing the gospel. God deserves all the glory, therefore. Praise, because our good works are due to God who predestined and enabled us to do them. We are not in control. We thank and praise God for his mercy, enabling, and call. And finally, the truth gives us comfort. Because just like our salvation, if God has truly called us to a particular profession, then no one will be able to strip it away from us. God's call is irrevocable. So strive hard, study hard, work hard, and pray hard. Aim to be all that you can be. Fulfill all your human responsibilities while knowing ultimately and resting in the comfort that you will never lose the vocation and the salvation that God has called you to. Amen? Let's pray.